So this morning we're starting something new. We uh, finished a series recently called In His Image. Uh, I enjoyed it so very much. It was a great series. And I got, I, you know, I always get more out of sermon series than you guys do. Because I'm spending hours every week studying and reading. And I've always wondered, like, how much of what I study ends up being given to you on Sunday Maybe 20, 30%. So I get a lot more out of it than you do. Because everything I read can't be said in a 30 minutes on Sunday. And so I spend many hours reading. But, but that series I thought was really good. And we talked about how we are created in God's image. And, and it was an interesting way to look at us and God. And, and think about the characteristics that God gave to us. By creating us. But this series is going to take that to a different level. Because now we're going to talk about, okay, so we're made in God's image. We know who we are and what God made us to be like. How do we live day to day? How do we live day to day in our life? So that we honor the image of God within us. And to do that, we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's going to be a long series because it's a long stretch of Scripture. But I think that as we go through it, it will uh, unpack a lot of interesting things that will help us to learn how to live day to day. Now, if you're even just a little bit familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard of the Sermon on the Mount. You've probably heard some of the famous things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, like, You are the salt of the earth. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Don't judge or you will be judged. Those are all things that we're very familiar with. They're all in the Sermon on the Mount. And even people who don't follow Jesus have probably heard these things as well. They just don't know where they come from. So I think everybody knows the golden rule, do unto others. But it comes from this sermon. So we're going we're gonna to look at what Jesus has to say and, and, and talk about how these uh, practical teachings of Jesus can help us to live our lives. Now we're going we're gonna to skip the Beatitudes because I might come back to that later on. So we're not going to start there. And then there's one little section that I'm going to skip because I preached on it recently and I don't want to duplicate the messages. But we're going we're gonna to start with verse 1, and and talk about uh, what Jesus was doing. Why was he there? What was going on? So let's let's open our Bibles, if you got it on your phone or a Bible. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And it says this, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So Jesus is in Galilee. Near the Sea of Galilee, probably near Capernaum, and crowds of people are gathering. And so Jesus walks up a hill uh, to get up a little bit higher on the hill, and the people sit down on the hill below him, kind of like a natural theater or an amphitheater, and his voice can carry. So Jesus is up on the side of this hill, people gathered around, his disciples are there, and Jesus begins to teach them. Now, what we have included in Matthew's gospel is not his entire sermon. Because Jesus would have taught for hours. And sometimes, Jesus would have taught for days. 
But I think what we have in the Sermon on the Mount is the highlights, the things that Matthew thought were important to include in his gospel. It gives us a snapshot, an idea of Jesus' teaching and his theology. And these are things that he would have taught many times in many different places at many different times. Uh, So when you look through the other gospels, you find pieces of this sermon in the other gospels because they were things that Jesus taught all the time. When Jesus repeats something, that means it's important, right? (laughs) Everything he said is important. So when we look at this Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's designed for us to understand what it is that Jesus expects from us. And if you think about not only the Sermon on the Mount, but all of his teaching, Jesus was a radical teacher. What do I mean by that? The things that Jesus said were radically different from what people were used to hearing from the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, from the religious teachers of his day. And so, um, he, he raised a lot of questions. And, and when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you, you kind of get a feel for just how radical his teaching is. Because sometimes he'll say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus takes what's, what someone else has taught But then he raises it to another standard, to a higher level. And and he does that regularly. I think, honestly, that even today, his teachings are still radical. And, increasingly, I think his teachings are radical even in the church. Because I'm not sure that people in the church, many people in the church, are willing... To live at the level that Jesus is asking us to live at. Because what Jesus demands from us is amazing. And I think that we we have lived in a culture that for so long has tried to lower the standard. And make it easier and water things down to, to the point where... We've forgotten just how radical it is to be a follower of Jesus. And, I, and I'm going to tell you something. As we go through, I know summer is summertime, vacation time, right? Let's take it easy. Let's do something light, something easy. Sermon on the Mount is not light. It is not easy. And as we go through it, it's going to challenge us to our core. I'm just warning you. So like, as we go through the summer... This, these series of messages, they're going to challenge us pretty hard because Jesus challenges us. But let me tell you something. You know the old saying, no pain, no gain? I think there's a lot of truth in that. And, and even in our spiritual life, the, the more Jesus challenges us, it's not to hurt us. It's not to make our life miserable, but it's to increase the blessing of God in our life. To increase the power of God in our life. And as we dig deep into our spiritual walk with Jesus, we will open up new joys that we didn't even know existed. I really firmly believe this. And so uh, let's take the challenge on. I, I have a feeling that a lot of people in this world are, 
are looking for the minimum effort to get the maximum reward. Have you seen that? What is the minimum effort to get the maximum reward? I want to lose weight and I want to get fit, but I don't really want to exercise and eat better. Is there a pill I can take? I want to, I want to get uh, I want to get wealthier so I can buy a bigger house and a bigger car, but I don't really want to work longer hours and harder work. Is there like some quick way to get rich? I want to go to heaven, but I don't really want to change the way I'm living. Like, how much sin can I still have and yet still get into heaven? No, 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 no. Don't go for the minimum effort and maximum reward. Go for the maximum effort. Because that's the only way to get the maximum reward. And Jesus is going to show us how to get there. Now, the people in in his day were living under the law of Moses. And so they, they kind of had like checklists. Here's how I live. Because the law tells me all these things. I live this way and this way. And I do this and I do that. And I don't do this and I don't do that. And that's how we live our life. If we're going to honor God, we follow his checklist, his law. So Jesus comes along and uh, he says, now the law is good. But the problem is you're treating it like it's a checklist of the minimum things to do. For example, when Jesus talked one time about tithing, he said, you people who follow the law, you like, you like count out so that you get 10% and give that to God. And like you're real careful to make sure God gets 10%, but only 10%. But see, the thing about tithing, it's, it's not a law to follow religiously, to count exactly 10%. It's a law that's designed to generate generosity within the heart of man. So that we become generous toward God and generous toward one another. It's about learning how to give and not, and not hoard. So there's, the law goes deeper. And Jesus is trying to unpack the law to show them that it's not just about the letter of the law... It's about the spirit of the law. What is the intention that God has behind the law? That's the part we need to understand. So I I think that as we walk through this Sermon on the Mount together, it's going to deepen our walk with Jesus. It's going to increase our, our level of discipleship. And it will help us to become better and stronger followers of Christ over time. So let's dig in. We're going to skip past the Beatitudes. We're going to start with uh, verse 13, salt and light. Verse 13, let me just read 13 through 16, and then we'll unpack that. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Today, the internet is filled with uh, social media influencers. These are people who are trying to influence other people. 
Basically, it works like this. You post a picture on Instagram and you hope people will like it or comment and share it so that more people will like it and comment on it. That's called influence. But you see, that's not really what influence is. Influence is about getting other people to change their behavior, change their attitudes, change their words and their actions. That's influence. I've heard it said that leadership is influence. I believe that's true. If you can lead other people to change the way they behave that's, that leads them into a better way of living, that's influence. And so God wants us to be Christian influencers, salt and light. If we can be influencers in our world, if we can impact other people with the message of Christ... By the way we live, that's going to be a good thing. And that's what God is calling us to do. He wants us to be an influencer. So how does it happen? Well, let's talk about salt. Salt is something that's very important for us, and it was very important for them in the first century because they had fewer ways to preserve their food than we do today. We can freeze stuff. We have chemicals. They had salt. And so salt would help preserve meats so that they wouldn't go bad. And salt was also used to flavor food, which, of course, we do that today, right? And just be careful, don't do too much salt. Then you get in trouble. But salt is good. In other words, salt makes the world a better place. How many of you have been to a restaurant or a school cafeteria or someplace where they didn't use enough salt when they made the food? You, you, you understand what I'm saying? How did that food taste? Blah. Bland. Doesn't have a lot of flavor. But see, salt is that bam. It makes it better. I've watched you Brazilians when you barbecue meat. You do not hold back on the salt. Can I get an amen? You do not hold back on the salt. I mean, you put generous amounts of salt on that meat when, before you put it on the grill because it makes it flavorful. So salt is good, and, it, and it's, a, it's something that um, the, the food is a better thing when salt is applied. In the same way, Christians are like salt in the world because the world is a better place with Christians in it. The world is a better place with Christians in it. We add preservative and we add flavor. And, and when you do it right, when you follow Jesus in a way that you're supposed to, when you live the way you're supposed to live, we make the world a better place. My um, first job outside of the family business, because I worked for my dad and mom, but my first job outside of the family business was with uh, Kroger Grocery Store when I was a teenager. And I'll, I'll re never forget my interview with the guy, with the store manager, and we were talking. Now, you can't do this today because there's all kinds of laws. But it, it came up that I was a Christian. I was going to Bible college, about to go to Bible college, and I was a follower of Christ. And he says, good, I like to hire Christians because they make good employees. Wow. Now I got something to live up to. You see, because I've, I've declared that I'm a follower of Jesus, that I'm salt. I better live like it. 
I better, I better be that way on the job because my boss is expecting that out of me. But the thing is, if, if, if we really live as followers of Jesus, we are going to be salt. And we are going to add good things to the company we work for. And I, I just think that's, that's a good thing. Now, Jesus says something weird in here. Let, let's go back and look one more time at verse um, 13. If the salt loses its saltiness, what? Now, strictly speaking, from a chemical standpoint, sodium chloride doesn't lose its sodium chloride-ness. It's a very stable chemical. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the... the you got to think about this in first century uh, terms, not in 21st century chemistry. Think about it in the first century. Where did their salt come from? They didn't go to Kroger and buy salt. They had to go to uh, places where salt naturally deposited. And so they would go to the salt sea. And salt would naturally accumulate in the marshes. And uh, they would collect and gather up this salt. But that's not pure sodium chloride. In fact, the salt from the salt sea is somewhere around 30% sodium chloride. And it has other salts in it. Potassium, magnesium, and and sometimes other inert things like gypsum. So there were other chemicals and compounds mixed in with the salt. And it could be that your salt has become so contaminated with other things that look like salt but are not salt that it doesn't taste salty anymore. Anybody ever tasted gypsum? I mean, I, that can't be real good. <laughs> So imagine all the salt has leached out, but it left behind gypsum. And so it really isn't salty anymore. And, and what does Jesus say? Well, it's good for nothing. Just throw it out. Get rid of it. I have, I have two salt shakers this morning. Imagine that this one has pure salt in it. But this one has salt mixed with contaminants. Maybe some dirt in it. Which one would you put on your food? You'd put this one on your food, right? You're not going to put this one that's contaminated with dirt. Okay, some of you probably say, oh, man, dirt's fine. It's not going to hurt you. No, it's all right. What if it had roach droppings in it? What if it had a poisonous chemical that looked exactly like salt and you can't tell them apart? And if you take it, it will kill you. You throw this out. You don't keep this. You toss it. Because it's no good. This doesn't help anybody. This makes everything worse instead of making everything better. But salt's supposed to make things better. What about a believer that's contaminated? Do we make the world a better place? No, we make the world a worse place. That's the point Jesus is trying to make. If you're... Claiming to be a follower of Jesus, but your life is so filled with sin and contamination that people can't tell the difference between you and the rest of the world, you're not helping anybody. What's the difference between an atheist and a follower of Jesus, who, uh, someone who claims to follow Jesus but lives like the atheist? 
<laughs> well, the person who, who says they're a follower of Jesus but really lives like they're not a follower of Jesus is worse because they dishonor the kingdom of God. We, we need to be pure. That's what Jesus is talking about. Being pure. Like this old-fashioned sense of, what's it called? Holiness. Holiness. That means that we, we are completely set apart for God's purpose. Holiness. Man, what does Jesus say about that? He, he says in, uh, in Matthew 5, 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a little further down in the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect. The writer to the Hebrews says this, Make every effort, Hebrews 12, 14, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We don't get to go to heaven if we're not holy. Because God is not looking for uh, contaminated salt. God is looking for pure salt. He's, he's asking us to like be good. I mean, is that too much to ask? How many of you would drink contaminated water? Eat contaminated food? And those things are bad for us and we don't want that. Jesus is asking us to be pure. He's, not, he's calling us to be morally pure. Not mostly pure, morally pure. We, we clear on this? That's the whole point behind Jesus' comment on salt that loses its saltiness. If, if we're going to let the world tell us how to live, we will lose our saltiness. Our positive influence on the world. And we will begin to have a negative influence. Anybody can say they're Christians. Anybody can say that. But what God is asking is if we will live like Christians. John 14, 15, Jesus said this. If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. For a follower of Jesus, being salty means that we live the way Jesus asked us to live. We follow his teachings. We do what he says to do. We obey him. So we need to make this uh, who we are. And when we do, we will be salt in a tasteless world. The world will be a better place because we are in it. And we will make an influence on those around us. Leading them to a closer walk with Jesus. So that's what he has called us to do. Alright, so he says that we should be the salt of the earth. But he also says that we should be the light of the world. The light of the world. So, Jesus wants us to, to understand that he is calling us to be light in addition to being salt. And then he, he gives some uh, ideas about light. For example, he says that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. If you've ever been out west at nighttime driving, when the lights come on in a city, you can see it like forever. It's like a long ways away, but you can still see it. You can't hide the city because the lights that come on 
announce that the city is there. Even in our house in Pelham, Alabama, if I look north, the sky is filled with light. I can't see stars. That really irritates me. But anyways, uh, the reason I can't see any stars is because the lights from Birmingham City flood the sky. You can't hide Birmingham. It's there. Well, the same should be true about us. People should, it should be obvious to everybody that we're followers of Jesus. We shouldn't be able to even hide the fact that we are followers of Jesus. Jesus says, why would you light a candle or a lamp and then cover it up with a bowl? <laughs> why would you do that? You wouldn't do that. Because light is meant to be seen. Light is meant to shine brightly. And so that's, that's the point he's trying to make about that. So how do, we, how do we make sure our light is shining? Well, verse 16 tells us, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When we do good things, it's like turning on a light switch and, and putting light in a room. When we do good things, we are shining the light of Jesus to others around us. That's what, that's what this is all about. We need to shine our light. So the question for us is this. What's inside of us? Is there light in us or darkness? You see, the Bible uses light and dark to talk about sin and righteousness. Because there's this incredible contrast between the two. If you, um, if you go to, what's that um, cave that's near here? Uh, DeSoto. If you go to DeSoto Caverns, it's been a long time since we've been. Some of you have been there. They take you inside the cave, and what do they do? They turn off all the lights. Like, there's not any light, period. That's a weird feeling. I mean, it's a real weird feeling to be in a completely solid, dark room with no lights at all. And you start feeling kind of funny because you can't, your eyes are open and you expect to see things. You can't see anything. That's just weird. And then the lights come back on and you're like, oh, okay, this is better. This is normal. But see, that's, that's what evil is like. Evil is darkness. But Jesus is the light. In, in fact, what did Jesus say? John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. In Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world. But really, in reality, the only reason that you and I are the light of the world is because Jesus is inside of us. And his light shines through us to everyone else in the world. That's how we become the light of the world. We are not the light. We only reflect the light. We let the light shine through us. The light of Jesus becomes the light that shines within us. And that's what makes us the light of the world. Doing our good things is important. 
and, and, it, and it shines the light of Christ to the rest of the world. We need to stand out from other people around us who are not followers of Jesus. Just like the contrast between darkness and light. Is there a difference between us and the rest of the people in our family, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our schools? Do we, do we stand out as being different in any way? We should. Think about the way we live. Are, are, you, are you rude and disrespectful? Or are you kind and polite? Are you lazy at work? Or do you give your very best effort? Do you cheat and lie? Or do you always tell the truth and practice honesty? You see, we, we've got to be different. And if we make sure that our life lives up to the standard of Jesus, we will be different than the world. And it will be like turning a light on in a dark place. People will be attracted to it. Jan and I recently watched A Bug's Life again. I hadn't seen it in forever. And one of my favorite scenes is there's a port that one of those bug zappers, the light's on, and this other bug is going to the light. And, and then the other bug says, don't go to the light. He says, I can't help it. It's so pretty. We need to be like the bug zapper. It's so attractive to the rest of the world that they can't help but come to us. But we're not going to zap them. We're going to love them. Right? We're going to show them the love of Jesus. Now, more than ever, we need to be salt and light. Now, more than ever, we need to be salt and light. We've got a, a chart that I want to show you. This is according to a Gallup poll. And it looks at religious affiliation over the past 20 years. So from 2000 to 2020. In 2000, 52% of Americans identified as Protestants. 52%, that's more than half. But then by the time you get to 2020, that number is down to 37%. Now look at the bottom line. The bottom line shows you how many people identified as no religious affiliation at all. In 2000, it was 8%. By the time you get to 2020, it's 20%, more than doubled. The number of people who claim no religious affiliation. The number of people who identify as followers of Jesus is going down. The number of people who... Who, who identify as not following any religion, is going up. What is that telling you? I think it's telling us that the light is dimming in America. We are the light. We've got to, we've got to step up, guys. We've got to step up. And we've got to do more to let the light of Jesus shine in us. I believe that that when you and I live in a way that honors God and recognizes Him, it will attract people to Jesus. But if we live in a way that doesn't honor God and yet tell the world we're Christians, they're going to say, well, there's nothing different between you and the rest of the world. Why should I bother? You know, 
one of the things that's very important in that, in that verse we read in verse 16 is that Jesus said, when they, the world sees our good works, they will glorify not us, they'll glorify God. You see, a social media influencer's goal is to shine the light on themselves. As a Christian influencer, our goal is to shine the light on Jesus, not us. We want to point everybody to Jesus. And we want to magnify Him. So that when we do good works, we don't do them to magnify us. We do them to magnify God. And actually, we're going to get into that more deeply when we get to chapter 6. So we'll skip that for now. All right. One last thought. Some people who are, who are here or watching online might be thinking, now, now look, you're out of touch. I mean, come on. This is 2021. We're 2,000 years removed from the first century. This is not the first century, man. Lighten up. Can't, can't we just relax things a little bit? Make it a little bit easier for everybody? Why? This sounds really old-fashioned. Why are you talking about holiness and Avoiding sin and all this stuff. Well, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we got to do what Jesus said. Jesus did not come to relax the standards. If anything, he came to raise the bar. I want to read the next verse, uh, next two verses, 17 and 18 in Matthew 5. Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Some people listening to Jesus might have misunderstood him. Because his teaching was so radical. They might have thought, well, Jesus has come to do away with Moses' law and create a new law. Or revise it somehow. And Jesus is saying, that's not the case. You see, the law of God in the Old Testament is permanent. Does does God change his mind? Does God lie? No, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, He does not change. So why would his law change? You say, but pastor, (laughs) I've never brought a goat to church to offer on an altar. And that's like in the law. So why aren't we doing that? You see, Jesus said something very important. He said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to make it complete. And think about it this way. Jesus came to complete the law In some ways, that means that he fulfilled them. Like, for example, the laws of sacrifice for sin. Jesus fulfilled it because he sacrificed himself for sin. He didn't do away with the law. He actually practiced the law to its complete end. So the law of sacrifice for sin has not been abolished. It still stands. It still stands. The thing is that Jesus completed it for us so that we don't have to do it. We instead trust on his sacrifice for our salvation. 
and forgiveness from sin. Jesus didn't do away with any of the law. None of it. He fulfilled it. He completed it. And, in, and as we go through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, what we're going to understand is that Jesus came to not do away with it, but to even help us understand the intention of it. In other words, Jesus did not come to lower the standards. He didn't say, you know, all this Old Testament stuff is old-fashioned. He didn't say that. He said what, what God said in the past remains in the present and stands for the future. Because God doesn't change. The moral, the moral content of the law has not changed. The same God who said don't lie still says don't lie. The same God who said, you, you shall not have any other gods before me, still says the same thing today. The principles of, of the Old Testament law matter for today. You know, those of you who have been a part of this church for a long time, you, you know that I teach from the Old Testament a lot. Because I don't think the New Testament means as much if you don't understand the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is the foundation for everything. And we need to understand the principles. We think that the, the New Testament is where we learn about grace. No, you learn about grace in the Old Testament. Because God never changes. The God of grace is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Grace is seen in the law and through the law. We don't have time for that. Okay. So, so Jesus said, we're not doing away with the law. You, you can't get rid of it. In fact, not only did Jesus not lower the standards, he came to raise them. Look at verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Read between the lines there. Jesus is saying, you Pharisees and teachers of the law are not making it into heaven. Because your righteousness has not been raised to a high enough standard. Now, think about this. Imagine that you're in the first century. And you're one of the people at the bottom of the hill while Jesus is teaching. And you hear Jesus say this phrase. If you are not more holy than the Pharisees, you can't go to heaven. Immediately, your first thought is, nobody's going to heaven. Because the Pharisees are like the most holy people I know. They care more about the law than anybody does. And if they're not making it, I'm never going to make it. How can I get in? Well, it... it it gets unpacked throughout the New Testament, but the idea is this. They saw the law as a checklist so that they were accomplishing every action that they thought they could to do what is right. But the one thing they neglected was their heart. And the one thing God wants more than anything is a heart. God wants the heart. Counting out 10% of your seeds to give to God doesn't change your heart. 
But if you change your heart, you'd be glad to give the 10% of seeds. You see, what Jesus is looking for is for people who are willing to allow the Holy Spirit to move in to their hearts and radically change them forever. So that now the law is not written on tablets of stone, but written on our heart. How can we be more righteous and more holy than the Pharisees? There's only one way for that to happen. To trust in the righteousness that God gives us by faith. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That's the only way we can have more holiness and righteousness than the Pharisees. It comes when we trust in Jesus. His righteousness, God's righteousness, becomes our righteousness. Now we can stand before a holy God and declare that we are perfect, even as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Why? Not because we made ourselves perfect, but because Jesus makes us perfect. I'm so thankful for this. Because here's the bottom line. You and I cannot be salt and light in the world out of our own resource, out of our own power, out of our own strength. It can't happen. We have to trust in Jesus to do that for us. I want our worship team to come back. We, we are challenged by Jesus to a high standard in the kingdom of God. And it can seem like an unreachable goal. It can seem like something we will never get to. But that's only if we're depending on ourselves. In our own resources, in our own talents, in our own abilities. But if we trust in Jesus, if we let the Holy Spirit guide us and lead us and direct our lives, it's not impossible. It's inevitable. It will happen. Because when the Holy Spirit gets in us and transforms us, He changes us at our core level. In the deepest part of who we are, He transforms us. And when our, when our character changes, when our heart changes, when our mind changes, when our attitude changes, guess what else changes? Our actions and our words, our behavior. All of that changes. Not because we're checking things off a list, but because our heart has been captured by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And His incredible love and mercy and grace has made us into new people. And we are not who we used to be. But now we are children of the King. We can be salt and light in the world. We can. Because God's going to help us. You are, you are called by God to be an influencer. To make a difference. God has called you to be the flavor of the world so that the world is a better place because you're in it. I, I challenge you today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, give your heart to him today. He will transform you in a radical way. In a radical way. 
that will make a difference. By the way, um, I should have pointed this out. On that little chart where we were showing that the number of who claimed to be Protestants was going down, the last year, 2020, was up, a little bit up. There's hope, guys. There's always hope. There's always light at the end of the tunnel. And what can make a difference is you and me. Being salt and being light, one person at a time, influencing them, showing them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning?